Hey, well, welcome to church. Who's feeling good? I am, I am feeling particularly good this morning as we, uh, as we enter into this brand new series today uh, called Trending. And I'm telling you, there's been a lot of anticipation about this series, Trending series. And the whole idea is we're going to be looking at innovators that changed it all. More specifically, we're going to be opening up in the Bible and looking at different men and women that from the Word of God that had a huge impact, not only in their day, but are still having impact on our lives today. I don't know about you, but that kind of what is what qualifies a, an innovator. Anybody with me? I, I, I am just, I'm kind of thinking that what qualifies an innovator is not someone that just has a profound impact in the moment or in that time, but years and generations later, we're still reaping the benefits of it. And so I'm particularly excited about today, and we're going to be looking at a specific character, but what we thought of as a team, and how many people know we live in the land of innovation? Yeah? Silicon Valley, right? We live in the land of innovation. How many people think the church should be more innovative? How many of those people think that you should help the church be more innovative? Yeah, I like that. I saw your hand, so I'm going to be taking notes. But we thought as a team what would be fantastic in this series would be to have a, a verse that continues through the whole series that we kind of center around and that we kind of build off and, and something that we would use at the beginning of each sermon over this series in the hope that by the end of the series, we've all memorized the verse. How many people think that would be good? To just, you know, by heart, no more, more scripture? I'm into that. So I'm going to get us all to read this morning, and we can put up that verse. It's in uh, uh, Romans 5.15. It's going to be up on the screen. And I want everyone to read it. Can we all just stand as we read the word together? I think it's kind of be a novel thing to do. Let's stand and let's get ready to read together. Romans 5.15, and please don't try and reenact my accent. You can speak American as you read this. But let's go. Romans 5.15 says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. I don't know about you, but God's, God's forgiveness, God's grace is greater. It's greater than your sin. It's greater than the enemy. You know, so often we, we can acknowledge the power of sin in our life, and we get intimidated by the power of sin. We get intimidated by temptation. But you know what? Paul is not discrediting that. But what Paul is saying is greater is the power of God's grace in our life. Greater than any sin, greater than any mistake is, greater, is the power of God's grace and his forgiveness in our life. Come on, if you like that, say amen. Why don't you grab a seat, church? You are fantastic. Great reading. So this morning, we're going to jump straight in. And I want to look at what I consider to be one of the greatest innovators in the Bible story. And, you know, uh, as we were kind of exploring uh, which innovators to, to kind of choose, which Bible characters to kind of uh, draw from, there was, there was many, but it was kind of easy for me. We, we picked a few. And, and this morning, we're going to look at, at David. How many people know David. The story of David. And what seemed to be easy was picking which innovators, but what wasn't easy was choosing which aspect of their life we're going to draw from. Because many of these guys, like, like David, uh, did phenomenal things. David was, I would say, innovative in the way he ushered in the presence of God. David learned to, to love God's presence. David knew what it was like to, to pay a cost, that there was, there was a requirement. It had to have a sacrifice attached to having the presence of God in his life. He wasn't flipping about it. He paid that, he paid that price. He, 
made that mistake. And so there are so many different aspects to David's life that we could draw from, but I couldn't help but go past the whole story of David and Goliath. How many people love that story? It's kind of like Sunday school today. We've got, we're memorizing verses and we're learning Bible characters. So if you behave, you can get a prize from the prize box on the way out. But who's ready for a Sunday school experience like never before? Awesome. If you're ready, would you open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17? And I want to just kind of give you a backstory. We first meet David. And David, as a shepherd boy who would spend time out in the field with the sheep. And what I love about David, David was a worshiper. David, even after all of his conquests as king and his, his, his great battles, David wasn't known so much as a warrior as he was a worshiper. David loved the presence of God. And even from a young age, David knew what it is to build into his life a love for God's presence. As he would spend time out in the field, he, he would know what it is to, to have God's presence manifest as he began to worship God. And, and that's out, it's in that place where David wrote many of his psalms. He, like psalms like Psalm 42 where he says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. David knew what it was to be out in the field and, and see the deer come out of the, the wild deer come down off the mountain and they would be searching for water. So much was their thirst that, that it would drive them out into the open to just to get that quench for that thirst at the cool stream. And they would be open to attack from the lion, but, but so much was their thirst. And David could correlate. He was like, you know what, I, I know what they're doing. I know that, that as the deer pants for the water, God, so my soul thirsts for you. So David built in his life this, this love for God's presence. And here we've got this story where the Israelites and the Philistines are, are at war. And David's brothers are out in the battlefield and David's uh, dad, Jesse, sends him out to bring some supplies. And upon arriving at the battlefield, David kind of sees firsthand this giant called Goliath who's, who's really intimidating the Israelite army. He's intimidating and he's defying David's God. Now, defy, David's kind of like, man, how is this even happening? How is it that we are allowing this ugly guy to intimidate our, our army and defy our God. So David's kind of like, man, someone needs to show this guy a lesson. And if the, as if that's not enough that, God, that David wants to stand up for his God, also as a bonus, King Saul is offering the, the, the family of the guy who goes out, his family will not have to pay any taxes and he's going to get a daughter, one of the king's daughters is a wife. Now, most scholars say that at this age, David's about 16 years old. So I don't know about you, but I don't know many 16-year-olds that are into tax exemption. It's not like they're pumped, man, I'm going to have to pay any taxes. They're not even paying anything. So, so they're not pumped. But I do know a whole heap of 16-year-olds that will be pretty pumped with a king's daughter. Right? So David's pretty motivated. So I want to have a look at this. I'm going to pick up the story where, where Saul, King Saul, and David are chatting. And David's pretty much asking, let me go and fight Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 says this. Don't worry about this decadent Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue it from the lamb's mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this both to lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You know what I, I love about David is he is convincing. David's just got this conviction. He's not holding back. He's not like this. It's like, I, I, I think I'll be able to do it. No, he's, David's confident. So confident that his confidence is contagious. Because we've got David who's fully convinced that if I go out into battle, God will save me. God will give me victory. But so much is his confidence that he is now convincing a king to rest the fate of a kingdom on the shoulders of a 16-year-old boy. Who knows that's pretty bold? Let's keep going. It says, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on and strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never sworn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the Silicon Valley, sorry, the valley to fight the Philistines. Sometimes it's a battleground, right? Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt of this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Nice and sweet. Anybody ever watch those, those jujitsu movies where I say, you know what, this is how I'm going to kill you? And then at the end, they say, hey, but you didn't kick me in the face? And they say, oh, sorry, bam. It's kind of like David. Anyway. And then I'll give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with a sling and it hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Somebody say amen. I want to dive in and unpack this this morning, but can we pray before we do that? Come on, God, we love you. Jesus, we love your presence. And Lord, we know that you are here. Holy Spirit, we pray that today you would do something profound in each one of us. God, that we would leave different, that we would leave changed. God, we know you have a grand plan for our life. And that God, this message is a part of that plan. This message is a tool, a platform that you can use to to bring about the next part of change that you want us to live out. That you could empower us, that you could call us to greatness. So God, I pray that you would help me this morning. God, would you help me to communicate it effectively? God, that I would give you glory through this word this morning and that God, each one of us would glorify you more as a result. God, we thank you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. How many people, how many, how many parents do we have here? Do we have any parents here? Okay, now keep your hand up if you think you're a good parent. Wow, there's a bit of doubt. I love it. People are like, uh, 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 yesterday I wasn't. But <laughs> I, I think, you know, when it comes to parenting, it's kind of a, a, a bit of an intimidating thing. I remember when I first was becoming a parent, when we were first having Medea, I was pretty freaked out, to be honest with you. 
I had, I had no idea. I was 23 years old. I had no idea how to parent. I, I thought at that moment when we found out we were going to have a child, I thought, man, I wish I paid more attention to the way my parents parented. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I was kind of like going in blind. And, I, and it's funny to me, you know, it's like most things. It's, you don't really know how to do something before you begin to do it, right? It's kind of like the process of parenting, which helps you work it out. And there's, there's times where I've done some pretty bad things as a parent, I'll be honest with you. There has been a number of times that when I'm putting my little girls into their car seat when they were babies, I would actually clip their belly into the car seat. Yeah, that ends up with a lot of tears, a lot of screaming, especially because girls like to scream for the next three days and remind you that you hurt them. But that's not nearly as bad. You know, I mean, you can feel bad for that, but that's not nearly as bad as how sometimes other people can make you feel as a parent. It's fascinating how everyone can have an opinion on your parenting. I was just recalling this the other day as we were looking at some photos and some stuff from our, our old house in, in, in Australia. We had a multi-level house, a two-story house, and our twins' room, when they were little, they, we had them at the front of the house in this big room where they could just go crazy. We would just gate it off. Um, it was a gate, not a prison. We just gate it off for their protection, and... Uh, they would just go crazy in there, and they were just starting to learn to crawl and you know, slug their way along the floor, and we'd be in the other parts of the house doing stuff. And I can remember this one particular day, uh, this, this frantic knocking at our front door. And I ran to the front door, and I opened the front door, and there was this lady screaming, your babies, your babies. I'm like, what about them? And she's like, they're standing up on the windowsill about to fall out. I ran into the room, and there is Zali and Zara. Not only have they discovered to crawl in that last hour, but they've discovered how to climb as well. And they're standing up on the window still thinking it's hilarious to be banging on the window. They're, like, they're having a great time. And I don't think it was that bad. You know, I don't think the window was going to break or anything like that. But I ran in and I said, come on, girls, let's hop down, you know, and that sort of thing. I thought, oh, phew, they didn't die. That's really good. And I went out and I said, oh, look, thank you so much. And she was just staring at me like... And I looked at her, and I'm kind of like, oh, sorry? Like, are you waiting for an apology? I don't know. And it's like she was about to dial, like, child services or something. She was, she was ready to bring the discipline on me. And I'm kind of like, I wanted to say, do you even have kids? Do you know the realistic nature of this situation? Kids are crazy. Kids do what they want. I could have been in there, and they could have done it. So I, I'm sorry. I'm not apologizing. But thank you anyway for helping me feel like a bad parent. But I feel like this is kind of so often like, you know, indicative of our war. We often look at the end result or the product of something as the, as the target, but, but God wants to kind of use the journey or the process to do something in us to produce us to be the person that he wants us to be. I think this is kind of the whole idea that, that God wants to get across and I feel like here with, with David, as we read this story, David knew God's presence. But what David also had established in his life was a series of small victories. There were times where David went up against the lion and the bear. And, and, and David, he, he, there were times, the Bible says, as you read earlier, that he would go up when, when there was like one sheep. And I, I want to pause here for a moment because I feel like this little point could bring breakthrough to people this morning. Like David went after just one sheep. So often I feel like there are battles in our life that we really don't give much credit to. There are battles for our holiness. 
They're battles for our purity that we relent to and give up in. And instead of what God designs as being little victories in our life, they end up becoming a series of little defeats. Because we often look at them as insignificant. Oh, man, it doesn't matter that much. It's just one sheep. What is, what is one sheep? And I know David could have easily kind of looked at these things. Man, man, that's a, that's a big lion. That's a pretty big bear. No one's, I'm out here on my own. No one's even going to see this. There is no video Comcast. Everyone's going to give me accolades for this. I'm just going to go and rescue one sheep. And often that can be our life with these tiny little battles that come up in our life, battles for our holiness, battles for our purity that we relent to and we give in to, thinking, you know what, it doesn't matter. But I, I just wonder if maybe it's God's design that these little victories position us with a confidence to break through in the future. Just maybe. David actually knew that because of these victories, just as God had delivered him in these little battles, it built in him an understanding and a faith that God will deliver him in the big battles. I believe this is what God does in our life. Battles that can seem insignificant can actually be part of the process to bigger victories. And I believe that God wants to take us further, that that so often there are these little battles that are in our life that we think, man, these are are big battles for me, but God wants to take us through them so that we can fight battles on behalf of other people. Isn't that a crazy thought that that our victories are going to influence others? This is what Paul talks about. Paul says that we might win the many. I don't know if you like that language, but we're in the business of winning people. How many people know that? Come on, the devil's in the, in, the, in the business of winning people. The enemy's in the process of winning people. Paul said, come on, I, I become servant to many so that I might win the many. Come on, we're going to be in the business of winning people. So we're going to be in the business of getting victories in our life, not just for us and not just for me, so that my victories might open up influence for others. And just maybe there's this idea that, and I hear it all the time and I'm not, kind of trying to make you feel bad, but so often we can focus on the fact that we're, we've got opposition against us. You know, I'm kind of dobbing myself in here that we often think, man, why am I under opposition? Why is it that I feel like I'm under attack? Why does it feel like I'm fighting a fight? What, what is it? And we spend so much energy wondering why we're actually in the fight when God's like, come on, forget about the fact that you're in the fight. Jesus never said you won't, you won't have a fight. In fact, he's like, be prepared for a fight because Jesus designed us to be overcomers. How can we be overcomers unless we have something to overcome? Is anybody here this morning? So Jesus designed these little battles and these little oppositions so that we can be victorious. God didn't design them so that we would be defeated. God's like, come on, here are some battles, but but I'm not going to give you something you can't handle. I I have designed it so that you can rely on me, you can put your trust in me, and I'm going to help you be victorious in this situation. Because God wants to build something in our life. He wants to build a a framework in in our world. You know, when we think of David, we don't actually think of David the the lion killer, Right? We don't think of David, the the bear killer. We think of David and Goliath, David, the the man who who killed the giant. And it it might just have been, the giant might have just been the, the thing that defined him. But I have to say it was the lion and the bear that refined him. Oh, come on, somebody got that right. 
Come on, the giant might have been the very thing that defined David. There are going to be giants in your world. There are going to be battles that you face. that are the battles that define you as a person, define, define you in your character. But it's the lion and the bear, these small battles that come along relentlessly, day in, day out, that are the battles that end up refining you for that battle that will define you. I'm preaching really good this morning, but you guys, I, I don't know if you're getting it. Are we here? These small battles. I want, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this. Point number one, small battles. Everyone say small battles. God's design for us to be overcomers is His design from the start. We can overcome because He overcame. See, David, with all confidence, went to Saul and said, come on, I, I, I've got this. I know, don't, don't worry about my, my height. Don't worry about my build. I have got this. You've got to trust me. And I love this in verse 38. Then there's Saul who says yes to David, gave David his own armour. He gave him a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. He said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. You know, I think this is an interesting verse because here's Saul who's looking at David, this young man, saying, man, I, I love your confidence, but you're not ready. You have no idea. You've never faced a battle. You don't know what you're talking about. Here, why don't you have my armor? And you would understand this would probably be pretty good armor. I think out of all the armor, this would have to be the best one. Probably going to be the most slimming. It's probably going to be the most fashionable. It's not like David's like, oh, that's ugly armor. I'm not wearing that. And I'm sure that Saul had seen some victories in this armor. Okay, he's king. He's led some battles. But what I find interesting is that David is like, I can't fight battles with your victories. I need to fight battles with my victory. So often we try and fight battles with someone else's revelation. God's like, I need you to fight battles with your own revelation, battles that you've overcome, your understanding of God, your revelation of God. And you might think, well, what are these, what are these small battles? I'm telling you, some of these small battles are your tithe. No one's cheering now. You're tired saying, God, week in, week out, I'm going to trust that you are my provider, not my employer, not my dividends, not my shares, but God, you are my provider. And as we trust God in the small, when the time comes when we really need to trust God, we have proven that He provides. It's trusting God with your integrity. Saying, God, I'm going to be integrous. When no one else is looking, God, I'm going to show integrity. When that business deal, no one else would know, I'm going to show integrity. Because when that day comes, when my character is tested, when that day comes, when my holiness is tested, when I'm tempted, I'm going to stand strong because I have built a battle. I have built a victory in my life. This is what God is trying to do. He's like, come on, these are series of small victories. And David needed to build off a revelation of his own. David didn't need to discover this from somebody else's understanding, somebody else's victories. Victories that might have, may have worked for Saul are not going to work for David. Victories that work for me aren't going to work for you. Come on. We can't be Christians that sit in church and say, great revelation, pastor, I'll have that. No, God's like, come on, get revelations for yourself. 
Come on, let Sunday not be the only day where you come into my presence. Let Sunday not be the only day where you read from the Word of God. Come on, would you build a framework in your life where I am in your presence, where we encounter each other, where I can reveal to you what I have for your life, the plans and the purpose that I have designed for you. Now we're getting warmed up. So David's like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't use your armour. I think so often we need to be people that know God's voice in the everyday. Because people ask me all the time, you know, Pastor, I've got this big decision. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I'm like, ask him. Like, I, I can't hear his voice. Well, have you asked him for other things before? Have you spent a, a walk time with God? Have you had a walk with God where you ask him every day how he's doing? God, what can I, how can I serve you today? What, what, how can I glorify you? where you hear his voice every day so that you have an understanding in those big decisions what God wants for your life. Just wondering. This is not relying on somebody else's revelation. Our walk with God needs to be proven and tested. David had to test God in the early days. He had to prove that that God was his deliverer in the lion and the bear. And God proved himself privately with David so that he could prove himself publicly. You know, God responds to faith, right? We know that. So God responds to faith. And here he is testing David in the private and now, now testing David publicly with the giant. And, and I love this commentary. If we could put this up, one of my favorite commentary says this, too often God's people faint at the smallest test that comes their way, not realizing that these little tests are but preparation for the big battles that are sure to come. You know, I was chatting with a guy the other day and we're just talking about how we uh, just made a step out here to come to uh, the US, to come to California. And um, his response was fascinating. It was like, it was crazy. It was good. He's like, man, you're crazy. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, he was like, he was almost angry. He's like, oh man. He's like, oh, you're crazy, man. And I'm like, I think you're crazy, actually. You're scaring me right now. But he's like, he's like, man, I guess I tell you right now, if, if tomorrow God said, go and, go and move to another country, I couldn't do it. And I said, well, God wouldn't ask you. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, God doesn't just ask you to go to another country. God doesn't start there. God says, go to your neighbor. God says, go to your coworker in the cubicle next to you. God starts there, and unless... Unless you respond to God there, God's not going to ask you to take a step of faith that's beyond your ability. God's going to give you stuff that is within your ability. And if you can prove God in that area, if you can test that calling right there, then God's going to say, hey, let me show you what I will open up for you. I'm going to teach you in the small things as you see victories there that you can take a step of faith that seems crazy to other people. But to you, it's like, man, I'm just trusting God. That's what God is building in David. Come on, you're getting your money's worth today, right? (laughs) Point number two, full truth. Everyone say full truth. I love this verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. You know what the sword represents? The sword represents the word. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the, the full armor of God and that it's the sword of the spirit. And, and, and the, the sword is, represents the word of God, which is truth, right? How many people know the word of God is truth? And this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes at you with part truth. 
When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he came at him with, with word. He came at him with part truths. He said, come on, if, you, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread and eat? And, and what Jesus did is Jesus reacted to that part truth with full truth. And what the devil wants to do is he loves to bring up our past. The devil loves to come at us and, and bring condemnation. He loves to bring up our, our past failings. He loves to say, you know, that, that, that battle that you had that was meant for victory, you failed. He loves to remind us of all the times where these little battles for our purity, battles for our holiness, battles for our integrity. Come on, he, he loves to remind us how we failed of that. So, and, and it's right at the most opportune time for him. It's right when we're about to take a step of faith or we're facing some opposition. It's these voices of doubt that come in. And I've got to be honest with you, I have faced a lot of battles that I haven't won. There have been many battles for my purity that I haven't won. There have been many battles for my integrity that I haven't won. And they're the ones that the devil wants to bring right in front of me when I'm stepping out for God. He loves it. And he, what he will do is he'll bring apart truth. And he'll say, you know what, Adam, don't you, don't you remember that you failed that last test? That last battle, that was a defeat. That wasn't a victory. He says, you are not worthy to be used by God. And that is part truth. Because I know that I'm not worthy. So what I do is I come back at the devil and I say, you know what, you're right, I'm not worthy. But I'm so grateful that my word says it's not by worth, it's by birth. Because I've been born again. I've been set free. I have been sanctified, redeemed, restored. I have risen with Christ, seated in heavenly places. So it's not by worth, it's by birth. I am the son of God. And because he won the battle, I walk in victory. Because he wins battles that we don't need to win. God has already won them on our behalf. So we defeat the enemy by full truth. I love this in verse 51. It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Verse 52, then the men of Israel Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn along the road of Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Verse 54, David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem but he stored the Philistines' armor in his own tent. I love this. David kept a reminder of the victory. David kept for himself this reminder of the victory because it's these victories that build our testimony. And so often, you, you, the way we overcome the enemy is by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And what the enemy does is he's trying to build a case against us, but what we need to do is we need to build a case against him. Saying, you know what? Just as God gave me victory over the lion and the bear, and the giant, God will give me victory over the nations. God was positioning David for greater influence. You might think the battle you're facing right now is the defining battle. I'm sorry, friend. God has bigger plans in store. So what God wants you to do is build a framework in your life of testimony, saying, okay, God, I know that you provided in this situation. God, I know you delivered me in this situation. God, I thank you that, that, I, that I missed out on this opportunity, but God, you're building something bigger in my life. And what you're doing is you're building a case against the enemy who wants to bring doubt and fear into your world. David built this framework of testimony that reminded David that he overcame. And just maybe he brings us through battles, not only for ourselves, but as I said earlier, for others. That's what I love about this series verse that we've been looking at. 
Adam's sin affected so many. But greater is God's forgiveness and grace for many. God didn't just die on the cross for himself. Jesus didn't go to the cross and say, well, at least I'm, I'm going to do this for myself. No, God did it for many. God's victory, Jesus' victory on the cross was for others. And I'm telling you, just in the likeness of Christ, God wants to position us through a series of victories in our life that we would be facing victories that would achieve victory in other people's lives. God doesn't say, come on, I just got something in store for you. God's like, I've got something in store for you that is for other people. It's called influence. It's called effectiveness. I don't know about you, but I want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, man, I had some effectiveness. I had some influence. That there are a whole heap of people that are changed because I had, a, I had made a decision to step out for God. Anybody else here like that? 2 Samuel 22, and I, I'll close with this, I promise. 2 Samuel 22 verse 15 says this, Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of the battle, David became weak and exhausted. This is David later on in life. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him, but Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk out snuffing, sorry, why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sebekai the Hushai killed Saph, another descendant of the giants, during another battle of Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed a brother of Goliath at Gath, and then the handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. Verse 20, in another battle, the Philistines were at Gath, and they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in total, who was also not only ugly, but he was a descendant of the giant. I added the ugly. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shimei. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants at Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. What I love about this is that not only was David a guy who killed giants, not only was David a giant killer, but David reproduced giant killers. You reproduce two things, who you are and what you're intimate with. That's why my kids, they, they act like me, but they look like Kira. Because so often I see myself and my kids and it scares me sometimes. I'm like, wow, that's me. But they look like Kira because I, I reproduce who I am and who I'm intimate with. David reproduced giant killers, men of war, men of valor, because that's who he was. But he also, when you read about these guys, he also produced men who were intimate with their God, who had a confidence because they knew his God, because of who he was intimate with, is what he reproduced. I, I want to pose this innovative thought for you today. And out of everything, I think this is probably what defines David as a great innovator. Because what I want to produce, I first need to become. When I think about what I want to produce, I first have to become that to reproduce that. I cannot reproduce something I'm not. And what God wants us to do is God wants us to, to reproduce people who are intimate with him and people who are great victors, people who have faced battles. But to reproduce that, I first need to become that. I love the... The definition of an innovator is a person who is 
one of the first to introduce into reality something better than before that opens up a new area for others. This is what we're called to do, to open up new spheres of influence, to take new ground, opening up victories, not just for our own lives, but for others also. And you know, you might be here today and you might be thinking, well, I can, I can relate. I've, man, I'm facing some battles. You face the battle of two in your time and you think, man, I can really relate to that. We all face them. But as I said earlier, Jesus never promised that we won't face battles. But he did promise that we won't face them alone. You might be feeling, man, I'm going through this battle called life and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm doing it on my own. I don't know how to escape it. I don't know where to draw strength from. Jesus said you'll, in relationship with him, you'll never walk alone that we can draw strength from him, that in fact we're not even meant to rely on our own strength. And if you're carrying weight and you're carrying burden, you're carrying something you were never meant to carry. God said the the weight of the government is upon his shoulders. Cast your cares upon him because he cares. That we can, in relationship with Jesus, say, God, I, I need you to carry this one. I feel like the enemy is reminding me of all the battles that I've lost. God, would you remind me again that the victory is found in you and that I am an overcomer. I want everyone just to close your Bibles, close your notepads for a moment. And in the presence of God, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to him. Right across this place, would you just close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to give some people some private moment this morning to really connect with God. I want to give some people this morning an opportunity to to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you can hear that God is calling you. It's like this morning, you something in your heart is connecting with him. You realize, man, I've been facing battles, but I need something. I need someone to help me through. Or maybe it's that, that word this morning where I put my trust in my own ability. But you could really do with just putting your trust in God. You could really handle having that relationship with Jesus. It's a genuine relationship. Jesus is a real person and he wants to have a relationship with you. And maybe you've never made that step this morning, but I want to give you that opportunity. And my heart is, I'm not wanting to embarrass anyone. I just want to know who I'm praying for this morning. And I want you to make that face step of acknowledging, yes, I need Jesus. I recognize today that I need him in my life. I can't do this on my own. So while no one's looking around where every head's bowed, every eye's closed, if that's you today and you feel God is, talking to you and saying, yes, I want to be in relationship with you. Who is that this morning? Would you just raise your hand, give me a little wave so I can acknowledge you and you can put it back down. Fantastic, fantastic. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Who else? Yes, in the middle. Who else? Say, yeah, today, Pastor Adam, count me in this prayer. Right over the left, down the front. Awesome. Who else? Say, Pastor, count me in this prayer. Let this be the day where I make a decision. I'm not going to live on my own, but God, I'm going to live for you. And as I live for you, I'm going to begin to discover the purpose and the plan that I'm really here for, the purpose and the plan that you have for my life. And friend, I've got to tell you, it's not a small plan. God is not into giving someone a great plan and someone else an average plan. God has got great plans for each one of us. And today could be the day where you begin to switch on to that great plan that God has for your life. Who else this morning would say, yeah, pastor, count me in this prayer. Just give me a little wave. I want you to acknowledge it and you can put it back down. I just want to see it. Who else? In the middle, fantastic. Who else? Up the back, over there. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Who else? In the middle, great. Great decision, great decision. Over the side, yep, I see those hands. Who else? 
Say, yeah, pastor, pray for me today. Pray for me. Don't let me miss out. Come on, let there be faith this morning. Let there be confidence over the side. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. God, we thank you for every hand that represents a life that's responding to you today. God, we pray that you would move upon their heart, move upon their life. Lord, that today would be a day of significance. Would today be a day where everything changes? God, we thank you that you're in control. You know what I would love to do? And there's a whole bunch of hands, which is really fantastic. And it's going to be really hard for me to make my way around to everyone. And what I would love to do is, if you could be so bold as to respond. Not, I, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not my heart. I just want to connect with you. And I really feel it's important that I can stand with you and pray with you this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that in a moment as we stand, everyone who just lifted their hand and gave me a wave, could you have the courage and the boldness like David had to enter the battlefield? Would you have that boldness in your life to say, yeah, I'm going to respond to you, God. I'm going to have that courage to make my way out of my seat, come down the front. You don't need to face everyone else. You can just face me. And, and just have that courage this morning to say, yeah, God, I want to connect with you. And let this be a day where I draw a line in the sand and say, from this day on, God, I'm going to walk in your will. God, I'm going to walk the plan that you had for my life. So can we do that, church? So if everyone could just stand as we stand. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you, if you put your hand up, to come out the front, and I'm going to get everyone else to give you a hand because that's courage. So could you come right now? Just come on down. Just If you put your hand up, just make your way out. Yeah, come on down. Come on.